0: Ephesians. And as you do, take a moment and, and think about the passing of time. When you're young. Time seems to pass ever so slowly, does it not? It takes forever to pass. You're, you're five years old and what are you waiting for? Can't wait to turn six. Six-year-old can't wait to turn seven the the 13-year-old can't wait to turn 16, and the 16-year-old can't wait to turn 18, and time never seems to pass fast enough. Then at some point, and I'm not exactly sure when this point is, you want time to slow down. It is like, it clicks, it's like, will it just slow down? down. And, and I say I'm not exactly sure when that point is or when it was, because I know I've already passed it. That's all I'm aware of. I don't know when I reached it exactly, but I know I've already, I'm already past that. And the best marker in time that I can give as to when that was is the moment I became a dad. That's kind of the, the moment that I look back on when I wanted time to slow down. But even in saying that, that's not exactly true. Because there are certain seasons of parenting that we kind of rush through, right? Like we're racing to get to the next one. Like you start off, like every there's the seasons that you go through with raising your children. And and some of you have gone through many more seasons than I have gone through at this point. But there's that season when you start off with of like, I'm just trying to keep them alive, and their head doesn't fall off, right? And and then like you, you go into the I'm learning to crawl and walk and run type of season, and then you race into the okay, they're starting to talk, and you're trying to potty train them, and oh my goodness, I just got to get them potty trained, and once we get there, everything's going to be great, and, and and you're then it's kindergarten and first grade and second grade and so on, and and then those little ones. Aren't so little anymore. And they graduate high school. Graduate college. They get married. Time goes and it's like, what happened? Grandkids getting married. Like, where did time go? And realizing all too well, time's nothing we can ever get back. So the question is. How do we make the best use of the time that we have been given? Both as parents and as children. Children, I'm speaking a lot to you today. So put it on your your listening ears. Because I think our text today does a good job of helping us answer this for both parents and children. So picking up in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now remember... In studying and understanding this passage, what we have from chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6, verse 9, is God's design for authority and leadership and responsibility within the life of the home. Everyone in the home under the authority of who? Christ. Christ. All of us under the authority of Christ. And then God placed husbands serving under the headship of Christ as the head of their wives, just as Christ is the head of, their, of the church. And now today, looking how children are to obey parents as their authority. Parents given the authority over their children As they lead them unto Christ. Which brings us to our first point. Children, obey your parents. And like last week, we're going to examine this through a series of questions. So starting with, who is addressed? It's obvious, right? Verse 1. Children, who's being addressed? You're like, I am. Children. Children are the ones being addressed which is important on multiple fronts. One, it tells us who's being addressed. Who's Paul speaking to here? And we find out. But two, it's telling us children were present in the gathered assembly of the church. Meaning when this letter was read, when it was talked about, they heard it. It's why they're addressed. Children, now that I've got your attention and then he proceeds to tell them what is expected of them. Now, I've got a couple of questions attached to this question. Like one being, what were the ages of these children? Or more exactly, what is the definition of a child? Well, we don't know with any exact certainty. But a typical Sunday gathering of the church likely included entire families gathered together in corporate worship and instruction much like we're doing today, obviously in a tighter confines, most likely. But it was a family that was worshiping together, multiple families worshiping together, not not segmented off in different directions with mom and dad over here and children over there. Children watching, mimicking, and learning from mom and dad and others within the gathered assembly of the church. Now, did they understand everything that was being said and done and taught in those moments? No, or likely not. I'll give them some credit there. But how many of us as adults understand everything that is being taught, said, and done? So, understanding, likely they don't understand all these things. But they were learning every time they watched the Lord's Supper. Every time they watched a baptism. Children doing what children do which is what? Why? Why? Like, why, dad? Like, why, why are they doing this? Mom, 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 why are they, why is this? And Why can't I participate? Why can't I be baptized? Why can't I? All these questions of why that generate what give mom and dad a perfect opportunity to teach their children Children learning songs and the rhythms of of the gathered assembly, learning uh, to have reverence for the reading of God's Word, learning as they listen to prayers how to pray. So much teaching and learning taking place every time the church is gathered together, whether we realize it or not. Multi-generational worship in every respect of the Word's. So if you're of the mindset of like wanting, maybe you're at home and you're watching from home and you're, you're, you're thinking, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to wait until children's ministry is back in every single capacity before a return to the gathered worship time. Don't wait. I know it can be difficult, but I assure you it is worth it. It's worth it for your children. It's worth it for you. It's worth it for we as the body to hear children sing, to see them ask questions. And yes, they're going to cry and scream at times, but it's okay. It's a part of the body doing life together. Now, question there, does this mean that things like children's ministry and youth ministry are bad? No. Not at all. Don't hear me say that. Not saying that at all. But we do need to consider what their objective is. What is the objective of these types of ministries? Because the effectiveness of any ministry always comes back to the question of purpose. What is the purpose? We have to ask this. Is is what we're offering and doing within children's ministry and youth ministries, is it serving to help parents fulfill their God-given responsibilities? Or is it aiding in an abdication of their responsibilities? Now, more on parental responsibility in a moment, but now back to the children. Important question to consider, especially as it pertains to our culture and what authority structure looks like within our culture today. And it's the question of how long is one to be considered a child? Well, in one obvious sense, forever, right? Like there's never a point where you're going to stop being your parent's child. You will always be your parent's child, no matter how old you get. But there will come a point, Lord willing, where you're no longer under their care no longer under their provision, a time when, yes, you're still their child, but you'll no longer be a child under their authority. In fact, there will come a time when, where roles may reverse in some ways. You, as the child, will be called on to care for your parents, honoring one's parents, no longer falling under your obedience to them, but in your caring for them. But again, at what point is a child no longer considered a child? I don't think a specific age is what is implied here, especially within our culture. Of course, you're going to have those who say, well, 18, because that's legally when you're an adult within our culture. And some children turn 18 and they think themselves to be an adult. I'm 18. I'm an adult, you can't tell me what to do. And if that's your way of thinking, one, it's not a very honoring attitude. It's not a very honoring way to treat your father and your mother. But two, there may be some questions you need to consider first before you say that you're an adult. Like the obvious, are you still living under your parents' roof? Whether that means you're still living with them in their house, sleeping in the bed that they paid for, having the air conditioning or the heater that they paid for, having the food that is on the table that they paid for. Now you're like, no, I live in my own apartment. I'm on my own. Are you paying the rent? Are you paying your tuition? Are you paying for your insurance and your bills and all that comes with being an adult? Are your parents paying your bills out of a necessity because you can't? And definitely not talking about parents buying a family meal. I'm thankful for when that happens. Not talking about a generous gift or even helping out in a time of genuine need or just generosity of a parent's heart. I'm saying if you still rely on your parents to provide for you to make it, you're still a child, or you're at very least, you're acting like one. So simple rule of thumb here, if your parents are still paying, you're still obeying. Because you've, you've never left the umbrella of their care. Now, can't expect to be treated as a man or a woman if you're still acting like a child. Now, with that in mind, what are children commanded to do? Children, obey your parents. So not a simple call to honor them and respect them, but to obey, to obey them. The Greek word translated as obey being very helpful in our understanding here because it comes from two words meaning under and to listen. So to obey literally means to to listen under. Under. Which means for for one to obey, he or she must do what? Listen. I feel like the most common phrase in our home these days is listen. Like, please listen. Because if you don't listen, what can you not do? You can't obey. You can't do as instructed. And the opposite of obedience is what? It's disobedience. The Apostle Paul uniting disobedience to one's parents' children in Romans chapter 1 with a debased mind and doing what ought not to be done. Even saying those who practice such things deserve to die. Disobedience being the fruit of darkness and the path of destruction. So if one truly desires to honor their father and mother, then what's absolutely necessary? Obedience to father and mother. And children, when is obedience the hardest? Think about it. When is obedience the, the, the hardest? It's when your desire is different than that of your parents, isn't it? That what you want to do, your parents won't let you do. Or you want to do something Or don't want to do something that they would have you to do. And in that moment, you're left with a choice. Am I going to obey? Or am I going to disobey? And what you're thinking is, if I obey, I'm missing out on fun. I'm missing out on some type of pleasure that my mom and my dad are robbing me from. If I disobey... I get to have fun. I get to have this pleasure as long as I don't get caught. And then you're weighing the pros and the cons, much like Eve in the garden. We as parents know this is true, children, because we've been there. You're thinking your parents just want to keep you from having fun, right? But fail to understand the multitude of reasons behind our instructions. Instructions that may very well be intended to protect in ways that you can't or just don't understand yet. I mean, parents, how many of the rules that you have in place or things that you won't let your children do or instruct them not to do are the direct result of hard lessons that you learned growing up? A good number, right? And here's the thing, children. We we love you too much for you to learn the hard way. We don't want you to learn the hard way. But sometimes you will choose the path of disobedience. Beyond all of our advice and all of our instruction and all of our prayers, you, you choose the path of disobedience and learning the hard way may be the end result. And it breaks our heart in the process. But if you want to honor your parents, what are you to do? Agreeing or not, you obey, which naturally leads to a couple more really important questions. Like number three, what is it to be? What is to be the motivation behind a child's obedience? Well, I think the motivation here is threefold. One, it's it's in the Lord. Suggesting the most basic reason for a child's obedience to their parent rests not in the parent's authority, but the authority of Christ. So children, this means when you obey your parents, at the same time, you're obeying Christ. Which means you're not only honoring your parents with your obedience, but you're honoring Jesus, who lived in perfectly Godly obedience to his earthly parents and his heavenly father. But now in just following this line of logic of obedience, if you choose to disobey your parents, you are also doing what? You're also disobeying Christ. So the very first reason that we obey our parents is because in doing so we're obeying Jesus who is our ultimate authority second motivating factor is for this is right. It's the right thing to do. It is what is proper. Why? Because it's according to God's design. It's why this structure of authority exists in, in every culture, because it's, it's a part of God's natural law. And then thirdly, the motivation behind a child's obedience to his or her parents is God's word or God's law. It's the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. And then here this commandment comes with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So why are children to, to honor and obey their parents? Well, for no other reason than God said so. First and foremost, because God said so. That's reason enough, but two, practically speaking, that it may go well with you, and so you may live long. Now, this isn't to say that if you obey your parents, you will automatically live a long and prosperous life. Going well with you may look different in reality than what you have in your mind. But a general rule of thumb, life goes better and last longer for children who obey their parents. And Why might this be? Because again, loving parents warn their children of things that could harm them. But mom, what's wrong with jumping off the house onto a trampoline and into the pool? Mom's like, do I even have to explain this? The answer is no, I want you to live. No, but it's not just crazy stuff like that. It's warnings regarding questionable friendships, unhealthy habits. But dad, everybody else is doing it. No, you as a child may not understand why your parents won't let you do X, Y, and Z. You may think your parents are complete killjoys the most unfun people on the planet. And yes, sometimes we may come across that way. But guess what? You'll get to be a killjoy someday as well. (laughs) Lord willing. But such instructions, understood or not, given by loving parents, are intended to protect our children and to help you prosper. Holding a hand in a parking lot is a parent's loving protection. And so are curfews and driving boundaries and restrictions on entertainment. Essentially, this is, to, this is the, the question, children. Do you want to remain in obedience to all the other commands that God has given? If so, it starts here. Do you want to live a holy life? It starts here. You have to obey this one. Want all the blessings that God has to give to you? It starts with honoring your father and your mother. Why? Because God said so. But now that does leave us with a very, very important question. What are the grounds for possible disobedience? Would it ever be right for a child to disobey? And if so, when would it be right? Well, in answering this, I think it's important to understand and remember the the motivation of, of a child's obedience is first what? It's in the Lord. Meaning a child is to obey in the things that are consistent with Christ and his word. If what your parent is, is calling you to do will result in something that is clearly sin or will lead you to harm, lead to harm of yourself or another, you are under no obligation to obey. If your parent or parents are harming you, you love them best by reaching out for help from proper authorities. Whether police, pastor, teacher, friend, parents, friends. Biblical obedience does not in any way make abuse acceptable. Now, if what your parents are calling you to do, which this is most likely the case, if what your parents are calling you to do is simply something you don't like or something you don't agree with, but it will not lead to sin and it will not harm you, then you are to humbly obey. All right, children, we're moving on to parents. Verse 4, specifically, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, again, we ask the question, who is addressed here? It's fathers. Now, the word translated fathers here is a word used in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, in reference to both parents. So in fairness, Paul could have both parents in mind here. But because he uses a different word for fathers in verse 4 than he does for parents in verse 1, it appears he's turning his attention to fathers specifically in this passage. Now generally speaking, parents mutually share parental authority over their children children are expected to listen to and obey dad and mom equally as the ones that God has placed over over, them under the authority of but here the focus it does it shifts to fathers which doesn't mean the wisdom and instruction provided here can't or shouldn't be followed by both parents it should but fathers are specifically addressed the question again is why and the answer is because the father is the head of the home Meaning fathers don't just go to work and make the money and come home and do whatever they want. They actively take the leadership in raising and teaching and training their children. Fathers bearing the primary responsibility for discipline and instruction of their children as the head of the home. Both parents working to make disciples, but fathers taking this responsibility. Just consider with me Proverbs chapter 6. Verses 20 and 22. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Both. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. Now a quick word here to wives of unbelieving husbands. Or a husband who gives no attempt to lead in this capacity. You, you shoulder a, a burden that you were never intended to bear alone. But take heart in trusting, one, that your faithfulness will be used by the Lord in ways that you will never understand. And Lord willing, that your faithfulness will, will be used to, to soften your husband's heart to the teachings of Christ. Then, two, take heart knowing that you're not really alone. Consider Paul's instruction to Timothy, how he, he told him to hold fast to the instruction and the teaching that he received from his mom and his grandma. Now, we don't know for certain, but it appears that Timothy's father was an unbelieving father. But his mom and his grandmother faithfully taught him. So if you find yourself bearing a responsibility like this alone, Take heart. Your efforts and your prayers and your teaching carry an eternal value in the life of your children and your family that you may never understand. So remain faithful, moms. But now, what are fathers commanded? And in answering this question, what we find is essentially a a do not and a do, a negative and a positive. Here's what you're not to do, and here's what you are to do. So let's look at first the do not. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Meaning, don't give Satan a foothold in the life of your children by how you treat them. Don't provoke them to anger through severe and unjust discipline nor through unreasonable demands or abuses of your authority. Build them up. Don't tear them down. Be sensitive to your child's personality and temperament and abilities. Parents that have multiple children, you know better than anyone that each and every child is unique and different. And you're going to have to to discipline them differently. You're going to have to challenge them differently. But you're going to love them equally. Let them know that they are loved. Plain and simple, treat a child for who and what they are, an image bearer of God. A person who has been placed under your authority and your care, your family functioning in sorts like a, like a small garden of Eden that you are to multiply and subdue. A subduing that is done with grace and patient, tender, loving care. Not by crushing. So that's the don't. Here's the do. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The emphasis here being on bring them up and do, to do so just as husbands are to nourish and cherish our wives as we do our own bodies. We're, we're to bring up our children. The picture here is that of a gentle and loving father treating his, his children like God the Father has treated us through Christ. So how how do we do this? Through discipline and instruction in the Lord. Discipline being the equivalent of training and instruction being that of verbal and nonverbal teaching, both a do as I say and as I do. Children not only hearing the words of the Father, but following His actions as well. Of the Lord being God's Word. We're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, training and teaching our our children how to know, to understand, and to live according to God's Word, embracing moments God gives to teach our children the gospel. Some of the most impacting times may be the times where you have to actually discipline taking time to explain that their disobedience is not only a sin against you and mom, but is also a a sin against God. But our deserved punishment for that sin is what? It's death. Ah, but there's good news, son. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Why, Why did he send his son? You're inviting them into this conversation to take our place. It's right to receive our punishment for us. Why? That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. To which, in full transparency, my child responded previously with, Well, I think he could take my punishment now? Well, at least he's listening. <laughs> but taking every moment to teach our children about Jesus. Are we going to do this perfectly? Nope. There's going to be times where we discipline too harshly. And you know what we teach our children in that moment? How to say, I'm sorry. We pull them up into our laps. We sit them by us and we tell them, "No, mommy and daddy are sinners in need of God's grace. We teach them that our only hope in life and in death is Christ. Take every moment to teach our children about Jesus. This continued day by day teaching, taking us back again to the law in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Moses preparing the Israelites to enter into the promised land and giving these instructions to parents. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now what's this mean in terms of application today? It means parents, not the church are the ones primarily responsible for instructing their children in God's Word. It doesn't mean the church doesn't play an important role, because we do. But it means the healthiest and strongest and most God-honoring forms of children's ministry a local church can offer is one that is intentionally investing in equipping parents to carry out their God-given responsibility. One where fathers are challenged and given every opportunity to be equipped as the primary spiritual leader in your family's life. And to this end, we're working to focus our time and our resources, and we want to continue to improve in this area. But it will take time, and it will take commitment as parents to grow in our knowledge and understanding making the Sunday morning gathering a priority in the life of your family, not just an option. Listening to podcasts after if and when your children distract. Even just going back and doing that anyway, just to to learn and engage with the text. I let it go in one ear and out the other. Listen and apply. Taking advantage of classes that are offered. Oh, my schedule's so busy. Everybody's schedule is busy. Of What is most important to you? Read and discuss good books. Recommend many. We'll recommend more. Opening your Bible and reading it and discussing it as a family throughout the week. Getting together with others within the church to discuss what the Lord is teaching you. But an important question for fathers to consider. For all of us fathers in the room, what do we care about most in producing within our children? How they perform athletically? How they perform athletically? That they're, they're socially equipped to enter the world? All those things can be good things. What about their holiness? What would the focus of our attention lead our children to believe about what we care about most? Now to that end you're not your child's savior only Christ is parents who may be struggling right now with wayward children let me tell you this again you are not your child's savior Christ is you could theoretically do everything by the book and it doesn't guarantee that your child will follow Christ I know pastor friends Right now, who are heartbroken over children who are choosing not to follow the Lord. Not walking in wisdom. That may be you this morning. If so, keep loving them. Keep praying for them. And keep pointing them to Jesus regardless of their age. You plant You water, you keep planting, and you keep watering, and you trust God to give the growth. But parents, if you fail to discipline, you fail to train and instruct your children in the Lord while they're young, you neglect this, oh, you're increasing the odds that they'll never follow Christ. You can't be surprised when young adults walk away from Christ and the church when they witness a lifetime of other idols worshipped within the home instead. But now when we get right down to it, life in a fallen world is hard. But praise God, he loves us enough, one, to give us Jesus. Oh, how we need Jesus. And two, he gives us a family structure that is designed to point us to Jesus. And instead of pushing against it, let's embrace it and apply it it as God intended. And to do so for the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for the gift of the family unit. parents and children and the structure of of authority that you've provided. An authority structure that is designed to turn our attention continually to Christ. Children witnessing mom submitting to dad as unto the Lord and dad loving mom as Christ loved the church. Then mom and dad both teaching and training and equipping their children to know and to follow Christ. Children obeying their parents and Lord. So much to learn from the family structure as it pertains to Christ, the church, and the gospel. And we say, thank you. But we also recognize that we live in a fallen world where all these things may not be true of everyone's home. Oh Lord, but may they be. For those children who may not have godly parents, Lord, let we as the church be their godly parents. Let we as the church love the family and to teach and equip and to live in obedience to your design for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together and sing in response to God's word.